Everybody that got a bulletin this morning, get it out. Get it out real quickly. Turn it, turn it to the back page where the calendar is. And you're going to see three things in red ink, and I want to particularly call your attention to the bottom two. Okay? This is really a big year for Lamar Avenue because this church celebrates its 150th birthday. And that is really significant if you've ever done any uh, restoration history for Northeast Texas. And we have begun to plan uh, two events to help us celebrate that. And our theme will be Roots and Wings, where we reflect upon where we've been, where we are now, and where we hope God will lead us into the future. And the first event will be Sunday evening, April the 28th. Now, we're still finalizing plans uh, for both of these events. Uh, Keith Bowman, John Cannon, and myself have have kind of begun some initial discussions and some things that, that we hope uh, to happen, which will really make uh, these two events significant uh, for us. But the first will be Sunday evening, April 28th. Uh, we are going to assemble uh, down at the Antioch uh, Cemetery in Beardstown, where uh, one of the first churches of Christ ever was in the state of Texas. And it's from this little Antioch congregation that Lamar Avenue and a number of other churches of Christ in Northeast uh, Texas originated. And John has done a lot of historical work about this. Maybe you've seen his little book. I think it was a master's uh, thesis project, uh, Where There Is Vision. And some copies of that are available uh, in the office and, and in our library. But we're going to assemble down there that Sunday evening, I think about 5 o'clock, and do a lot of singing, uh, reflecting, and, and do some sharing uh, from God's Word. Again, focusing on this theme of roots and wings. Now the second event, you'll notice, is Sunday, September the 8th. Sunday, September the 8th. And what we are envisioning is a celebration somewhat similar to what this church did in 2001. Rem remember that homecoming celebration? If you were here for that, raise your hand. I was here. I got a picture to prove it. Remember, we all assembled out there on the lawn. This picture was made, and it's been fun. I've... I've Got that picture out. I'm, I may have to put it on a screen here before, before long. Uh, but you might remember that uh, we had our assembly and, and a lot of singing. I think Jeff Christian preached uh, that Sunday morning, and then former ministers were invited back, and they each taught a, a Bible class. I remember I was asked to teach the teens uh, that particular morning. And, and it was a wonderful day. We wound up out at uh, the Civic Center, I uh, had two or three singing groups and some reflecting from uh, former uh, members and, and ministers about uh, their experience here at Lamar Avenue. And, and so we're, we're planning a very similar day for, again, Sunday, September the 8th. Why Sunday, September the 8th? Well, 
because the church began in September 150 years ago, and the 8th will, will kind of be the, the, the first Sunday after vacations are over. You know, Labor Day will be the previous weekend. For the most part, everyone will be back. School has resumed, and things kind of resume to normal, so to speak. And, and somewhat traditionally, that Sunday is, is a, a big Sunday. Again, every, everybody back. And so we hope to have some more things kicking off on uh, Sunday, September the 8th. So be sure right now, put that bulletin open to the calendar in your Bible where you see it every week and begin to be here and participate in those, in those two events. It's really, really going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great things will be shared. A lot of people will be coming home. Uh, to be a part of that, and so please be praying about that as we anticipate uh, celebrating uh, 150 years. Just for comparison's sake, this last April, Mayfair, where I came from, celebrated 60, their 60th. We're doing 150, all right? Okay, so there you go, there you go. Some of you are familiar with uh, Eugene Peterson, and several years ago he wrote three little books uh, particularly targeting uh, ministers and, and preachers, and he says this in his book, Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work. The gospel message says, you don't live in a mechanistic world ruled by necessity. You don't live in a random world ruled by chance. You live in a world ruled by the God of Exodus and Easter. That is deliverance and resurrection. He will do things in you that neither you nor your friends would have supposed possible. This past Sunday, I began a new a short series of sermons titled, Experiencing Heaven While on Earth. And in this series, I hope to particularly emphasize to us the third prong of our vision statement, which is restore all things. And here is how that part of our vision reads. Responding to God's plan to restore all things to Him we will purposely bring Christ's love and hope to our community and to the ends of the earth. And we began the series by looking at a text from Mark chapter 1. And in that text, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. John the Baptist has been imprisoned. And Jesus has moved uh, back around where he grew up, around the Sea of Galilee, Evidently, he makes Capernaum his kind of home base, if you will. And he begins his public ministry with a very simple message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. And we spent just a little bit of time talking about this, this concept of kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And we made the point that, of course, ultimately... The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God will be fully consummated and fully realized when Christ the King comes again. 
But in the presence of Jesus, we can already begin to experience that future kingdom right now. And I believe if we have been baptized into Jesus and we now wear His name, that we should already begin to experience that kingdom. And our concern with Restore All Things is the fact that a lot of people in our world, a lot of people that we know, a lot of people that we associate with, a lot of people that we come in contact with in our community every single week have not experienced that. And they're lonely and they're in need and they're full of despair and they don't know what to do. And so as God's people, as disciples of Jesus, uh, as those who wear the name of the Christ, we go to them and we bring to them the love of God and the gospel message. And we seek to help them experience a little bit of heaven on earth. And if they're hungry, we feed them. And if they need counseling, we listen. And if they need prayer, we pray. And if they need clothing, we clothe. And if they need assistance with their health, we help them each and every way that we possibly can. And so we want to continue that theme this morning. And for the next three Sundays, beginning today, we're going to spend some time in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we're going to, we're going to see an approximate 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. And there is, in the middle of that 24 hours, there's, uh, and in the middle of Mark chapter 5, there's a, there's a little phrase that kind of characterizes what we read about Jesus in this chapter. It says, power went forth. And so in this chapter, three times, we see the power of Jesus at work. And when you see the power of Jesus at work, you see the kingdom. You see God working through His Son, our Savior, again, to bring a little heaven to earth. And we're going to see the next three Sundays from Mark 5 that Jesus is Lord, first of all, over demons, secondly, over disease, and thirdly, over death. And in all three of those instances, we can find application for our lives today as the church as we seek to restore all things. So let's turn uh, to Mark chapter 5. And th this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And any time I read this, this story, and you can also find it in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, but we're going we're gonna to stay in Mark chapter 5 this morning because it is the longest, more detailed account of this instance in Jesus' life. But any time I read this story, I'm taken back to, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade at the Southwest Church of Christ in Ada, Oklahoma, the center of the universe, and I remember the Bible curriculum that we used to use. We, we had these little workbooks, probably from Sweet Publishing. And, uh, you know, you, you used that book and you worked in it. And I remember this story of the pigs going over the cliff and coloring every one of those pigs. Now, we didn't have 2,000 in the picture, but we had several. And how much fun it was to color all the pigs. 
I, I believe it was John Cannon that I first heard call this text the first case of deviled ham. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. All right. So open up your New Testament to Mark 5. And we're going to study uh, verses 1 through 20. And the text pretty naturally divides itself into four sections brought to us by the letter E, Greg Mays. And the first is the encounter that Jesus has with this man full of demons. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the re region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." Now, let me stop there and make a couple of comments. First of all, Jesus evidently had been on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, uh, Capernaum is up at the top. Uh, Bethsaida, Tiberias, other cities on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, primarily, if not totally, Jewish in population. But the story says that Jesus got in the boat one evening and sailed to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And on the east side, it was primarily a Gentile population. Uh, very few, if any, Jews at all. And so Jesus is making, I believe, and we'll come back to this point in, in just a little bit, an intentional move. This is an intentional trip. This just isn't a pleasant evening cruise on the Sea of Galilee. There is a purpose behind it. And so already Jesus is leaving the comfort of, of his culture, his Jewish culture. He's going across the Sea of Galilee to enter a primarily Gentile region. And upon exiting the boat, he is... And the NIV, for some reason, doesn't translate the word immediately, which is an important word in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, this little adverb is used about 80 times in the New Testament, and Mark, the shortest of the four Gospels, uses it 40 times. I mean, nearly every occasion in, in Jesus' life and ministry in Mark, Immediately he's doing something, or immediately someone is, is responding. And he no more than gets out of the boat, and immediately, Mark says, this man approaches him. And so Jesus encounters this man who is possessed by all the demons. Second section now begins in verse 6, where we see Jesus heal this man. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So the narrative after uh, this man is described to us as being full of these demons, uh, the, the narrative resumes, and Jesus asks him his name, and he says, Legion. Now, a legion consisted mostly of infantry with some cavalry and could number in, in the Roman uh, army five to 6,000 men. Now, I don't know if literally this man was possessed by five to 6,000 demons. I don't, I don't believe that's necessarily Mark's point. The point is the man is possessed by numerous demons and Mark clearly wants to portray the power and authority of Jesus. And he shows that power and he shows that authority by sending these demons from the man into uh, the herd of pigs. And again, the presence of the pigs is, is a clear ethnic boundary marker between Jews and Gentiles. And so Jesus, again, has, has crossed from the, the comfort of his culture into Greek or Gentile culture. Now, one little, one little sidebar here. This is, this is free. This is free. All right? Some of the highest... Christology in Mark comes from the demons. Several times in Mark's gospel, you see demons respond to Jesus as the Holy One of God, chapter 1, verse 24. Son of God, chapter 3, verse 11. In this text, they refer to Jesus as Son of the Most High God. Isn't it interesting that these demons clearly recognize who Jesus is. They know he is superior. They know he is powerful. They know he is the supreme authority. And I can't help but ask the question, do we? Do we recognize Jesus for all that he is? The son of the most high God. Our Savior, the promised Messiah. The demons did. Now do we. All right, close parenthesis. That part of the sermon is over. And again, that was, that was free. That was free. All right. Third section. The explanation to the locals. Chapter uh, 5, verses 14 through 17. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The response of the townspeople was one of fear as the garrison people also recognize the power of Jesus but want nothing 
to do with it. It's as if they feared what entanglement or association with Jesus might involve. And so they chose the economic loss of the swine as more important, not only more important than this, than this man, but the spiritual benefits of being with Jesus. And we'll come back to this in, in just a moment. And then the final section, the story concludes with Jesus' exhortation to the man he has just healed. And he does, Jesus does something that we might find a, a little unusual. Right? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him and said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the, men, the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The man is not re rejected by Jesus. He is simply redirected. He has a story to tell. He has some pretty good news, right? How Jesus has intervened in his life. How he has experienced the rule of God, the reign of God. How the kingdom has infiltrated and intervened in his life. And Jesus says, no, your task is to go back home and tell everyone what God has done for you. You see, healing has a mission. And probably none of us have been healed of a legion of demons. In fact, I've, other than maybe a seventh grade math class that I had to teach one year for Oklahoma Christian Academy, I don't know that I've ever experienced demons. I only did it one year, and there, there, was, there was a reason for that. I come into class, I had this class right after their lunch period. And one day I went in there, and I, I had 15 students, and every one of them, they were bouncing off the wall. I should have sent them all to the principal. I couldn't get them under control. And finally, I asked this question. I said, hey, what did you guys have for lunch? Well, I kept prodding, and I discovered that 14 of the 15 had drunk a code red. That's that red Mountain Dew, which is about 95% sugar, and I think 95%, if that's possible, caffeine. And as, as soon as the class was over, I went to the principal's office, Miss Maxine, and I said, you got to get code red out of the cafeteria. And guess what? She got it out. You know, so... So here, here Jesus is again, and he, and he heals this man, and healing has a mission. We have all been healed. We have been saved from our sins by Jesus, and now, spiritually speaking, we are whole. Some of us have experienced physical healing in, in other ways that Christ has intervened and blessed us. And if that's happened, and again, it has for probably every one of us, then we have a story to tell as well. 
And, and I really think that's where this restore all things comes into play. We, we have a mission as well. And, and Jesus doesn't reject any of us. He redirects us and says, go to your hometown and tell your story. And what's interesting about this guy, he not only goes to his hometown, he goes to ten. He goes to ten towns. The Decapolis was uh, a league of ten primarily Greek cities, on, except for one, on the east side of the Jordan River and on the east side of the Sea of Galilee that stretched probably a hundred miles. And this guy not only went to his own home, he went to nine more. I mean, he was on fire because of what Jesus had done for him. As he sought to tell about heaven and to share his story and to bring a little heaven to earth. So as we think about restore all things, let me suggest five ways that we can be involved uh, this morning. And again, focusing upon what Jesus did in this man's life. Again, as we've already mentioned, Jesus was willing to cross cultural barriers to serve others. Now, we, we, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to identify what those cultural barriers are. And if we think about it, we, we know what they are. And there are many. There are ethnic boundaries. There are economic boundaries. There are political boundaries. There are educational boundaries. Uh, boundaries and there are religious boundaries and on and on we could go. Walls that have been built that separates people and separates us from fulfilling this task of restoring all things. And so we need to identify them, right? Think about the significance of those barriers and then secondly, do something about it. Like Jesus, be willing to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Take a few risks to share the gospel of Jesus. Secondly, notice, Jesus does not avoid the demoniac. He reaches out to the outcast of his society. He wasn't like the priest. He wasn't like the Levi who crossed on the other side of the road. Jesus, as his boat is going up upon the shore and he sees this man coming, didn't say, guys, get back in the boat. Let's go. Let's go. Or he didn't get out of the boat, turn his back and ignore the gentleman. He was willing to reach out. Guilty. Guilty of walking on the other side, of not wanting to make eye contact, of, of not being willing to serve, but because I'm being approached by someone who is different, someone who is obviously hurting. And again, I'm convinced that this occasion was intentional by Jesus, because the moment the moment that he heals this guy and sends him off with this mission, 
they, Jesus and his disciples get right back into the boat and go back to the west side. I mean, why, why would he do that if he knew he was looking for opportunity to serve? That, that should have been one of my points. How often do we look for opportunity to serve? Jesus seems to be doing that on this occasion. I mean, he gets into the boat in the evening, he gets to the other side, he heals this guy, they're right back in the boat and back to probably Capernaum. All right? So this, this willingness to, to interact and to share and to be involved. Number three, Jesus was willing to love the unlovable. And again, we know who those people are. We encounter those people on a regular basis. We see those kind of people every day. We may work with some of those people. We may play with some of those people. Dare I say, we may live with some of those people. I mean, but that's family, right? Okay. So number four, we see that Jesus valued human life. And he valued every single human life. When we encounter the unlovable, when, when we see the outcast of our society, when we see those who are living on the margins... Do we see people created in the image of God? Well, guess what? I have been created in the image of God. You have been created in the image of God. That is something all of us have in common. Every one of us. And because of that, every human life and every human soul is valuable. And if we are to fully live out the third prong of our vision statement then we must value other people. And then number four. This man sees hope in Jesus. Sees hope. Did you pick up on the text? He saw Jesus from a distance. Now, I, I don't know, even though he was living on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and even though... They didn't have cell phones and social media and radio and television and all that stuff in the first century. But word could still travel pretty fast. And I almost envision this man all alone on this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And, and by the way, you, you can see the entire lake. You can, you can see the entire lake wherever you are. I know when, when we uh, were able to, to take a little afternoon cruise on the Sea of Galilee, I mean, you could see from Capernaum uh, on the north to Tiberias on the south. You could see the whole lake. And so any other boats that were out there, you could see them. And, and I almost envisioned this, this man had heard about Jesus. He had heard about this miracle worker. He, he had heard about this man who, who obviously was something unique and had this, this power and this authority over demons and evil spirits and could heal. And I almost envisioned him sitting up on that hill amongst the tombs and looking at boats. 
And, and his boats would reach the shore, maybe venturing down. And, and he would know quite quickly whether it was Jesus or not because everybody else would either get back in the boat or throw stones at him or whatever to get him out of their presence. And so that he sees this boat coming across. And he sees this man and, and others get out of the boat. And, and he wonders, could this be that guy? And sure enough, it is. And, and so he, he, he anticipates being healed and he, and he anticipates uh, being saved and being made whole and, and he sees in Jesus some hope. So the question for us in our community, you know, when they drive by this place, what do they see? I promise you, they see more than just bricks and mortar. What do they see? Do, do they see us as a people of hope? Do, do they see us as a people who have a heart for the unlovable? Do, do they see us as a place that they can come and share and be a little vulnerable? And will they be judged? Will they be accepted? Will their needs be addressed? I mean, what, what do people see when they see us? You know what they should see, right? They should see Jesus. They should see Jesus in each and every one of us. And so whatever else... We might want to be known as or for. Let's be known as a place for hope. I'm a little envious of where my sister and brother-in-law and nephew attend in Edmond. They attend the New Hope Church of Christ. I like that. Because it communicates a message. It communicates a mission. It, it seeks to, to tell that community, this is a place you can find hope and assurance with welcome arms. Can we be that place? Very quickly. And we're going we're gonna to continue. We've got three more Sundays left in this series. We're going to continue to emphasize some things. Our restore all things uh, category is divided into two sections. Uh, those uh, things that we're involved in without, uh, outside of our immediate community, we began last week by uh, looking at one of our primary mission points, Live Beyond, uh, the ministry of David and Laurie Vanderpool, and, and we had some from our group that went up there, and, and that was to inform us and encourage us and get us excited about bringing God's love and hope to a foreign mission field, a, a place where people desperately need hope. And then the second area is within, within this community, within uh, this church, within the city of Paris. And so we are involved in, in a number of things from um, grief, uh, 
divorce support, depression, providing a loving, safe environment for others, and taking care of, of one another as each of us uh, might have a need, reaching out in a benevolent way to those in the community. And one of our elders, Richard Peace, uh, you know, oversees uh, our benevolent program, and twice a month we're helping people uh, to stay hungry, or excuse me, to be fed because they are hungry. Scratch that, erase the tape. All right. In, in helping people uh, in that way, we provide uh, support for families with foster children. We have uh, Latchkey and we have Kitty College, and all of these things, all of these things are designed to help people experience a little heaven on earth. And as we continue through this series, we're going to have some opportunity uh, to hear more about a number of those opportunities. And so the challenge, again, for us today is, is a willingness, just a willingness, as we have opportunity to be like our Lord, to love the unlovable, to be willing to cross barriers, put ourselves at risk a little bit, and, and, and sometimes we might fail, but that's okay. That's okay. As long as we are seeking to offer a cup of water or provide a message of hope in the name of Jesus. He is with us and he will bless us. Can we be instruments of righteousness for the powerful kingdom of heaven? Let's stand and sing.